Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. We'll, uh, we'll actually partake of that in just a moment, but uh, I want to do, do a quick message for you. But before I do that, a couple of quick announcements before we jump into the message. Um, first of all, I want to remind you guys that this coming Tuesday, October 31st, this Tuesday is Halloween night, and that neighborhood, or the neighborhood over here that we consider our neighbors, right, it is packed full of uh, trick-or-treaters. matter of fact, people come and park their cars to actually trick-or-treat in that neighborhood. Well, we want to be there to be a light to them and let them know we love them and we care about them and that we're here and available for them if they need anything. And so um, uh, on Tuesday night, we're going to meet here at 5.30 and we'll be popping some popcorn and passing out warm cider. And from what I understand, warm cider is going to be important because it's, how many realize it's like summer right now, but the bottom's about to drop out. And I think Tuesday night it's going to be pretty chilly. So make sure you bundle up for that. Um, but from 5.30 till about 7 o'clock, we're going to be passing out popcorn and cider and offering to pray for folks that want uh, prayer or have a need in their life. And so if you haven't signed up for that and you're interested in being a part of that, or if you just want to you say, well, I'm not sure, you know, I'm at a place where I'm comfortable praying for people, then just show up and pass out the pipe, popcorn or the glow sticks we're passing out, uh, or just help us set up and tear down. Uh, Nakia could certainly use some help. So see Nakia back there with the cute little baby? Uh, Nakia leads our outreach department, and she does that volunteer, by the way, and um, she's got a busy season. We've got this, we've got, we just finished our uh, Operation Christmas Child, and we got, we're getting ready to do our angel tree, so give her a hand. She's got a new baby, and she's still leading all that. Really appreciate her so much, um, but if you're interested in participating in that Tuesday night, make sure you see her. She's got all the details. And then this coming Saturday, this coming Saturday is our church-wide work day. So it's, uh, you know, if you notice you're driving in, it's really pretty right now. The leaves are sort of laying out on the driveway, and, but we want to get those leaves up and get prepared for the winter. There's some trimming up and things that we need to do. Um, if it's not too cold, we might even try to pressure wash the front of the building. Um, so if you're interested in helping there, uh, that's this coming Saturday. We'll meet here at 9 o'clock. The men of a church are going to do that, but they have extended the invitation to everybody to jump in and help them, right? And so let's, let's roll up our sleeves and let's get the, the building ready for, uh, for winter. And then also coming up on Friday, November the 10th, not this coming Friday, but the following Friday is our next upper room meeting. And you say, what is upper room? That's where, you know, a group of us come together and anybody's welcome for this. But we come together and we just spend our time seeking the Lord and praying and just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he'd have say to us in those moments. And it's really a refreshing time for us to be able to, uh, you know, the Bible says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And so those, those, those upper room sessions are a great opportunity for us to sit at the feet of Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us collectively as a group of people. And so plan on coming out for that if, you're, uh, if, if the Lord leads you. That's Friday, November the 10th. All right, um, I want to go ahead and jump into our message. Um, I don't have a long message this morning, number one, because we've got some younger folks in here with us and I don't want to keep them too long. I taught kids for 10 years, uh, actually longer than that, but 10 years in one stint. And I recognize that, you know, all of us, whether we're children or whether we're adults, we all operate by the law of head and tail. The head can only endure as much as the tail can, right? So, um, and kids seem to get a little fidgety quicker. So uh, I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet before we take communion together as a church family, but um, what I want to do today is really sort of button up and bring to a close the series I've been teaching on love. How many of you have been uh, changed by this, impacted by this? I I have. Um, And I got to tell you, though, after 12 weeks of teaching on it, um, I've recognized there's a long way for me to go. How many of you recognize that as well? And if you're sitting next to your spouse, you can say amen for them, right? Um, I promise you every week you show up, I'll give you a chance to bash on your spouse and do it legally. Um, But anyway, um, I want to just sort of bring this series to a conclusion, to a close. And what I want to do is I'm just going to go back and review very quickly uh, the things that we've taught. And then there's one last thought I want to get across um, before we um, finish out the the series. So uh, we're talking about love. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35 is the foundational text. We've hopefully you've got this one memorized now because we read it for the last 12 weeks. It says, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray before we start. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit will use me to minister your word through me to your people. 
I pray that as we hear these truths on love and how we can be more like Jesus, that, that it won't be just words we hear, it won't just be human effort that we try to embrace to make this happen, but something supernatural will happen on the inside of us, that your grace will rise up on the inside of us, your power and anointing will rise up on the inside of us to help us be people of love. And I just give you praise and thanks for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, throughout this series, um, uh, what we've pointed out is that this commandment to love, Jesus said, you know, this is the only commandment I'm giving you. Um, in another place, he said, he, he actually broke it into two pieces. He said, love God and love your neighbor. But at the end of the day, he's, there's really only one commandment we have as believers. Uh, it's not all the do's and don'ts that we try to lay on people, uh, oftentimes in religious circles, as this is what you need to do and this is how you li need to live. Actually, if you'll just live by the law of love, you'll fulfill uh, the law of holiness. You'll fulfill the law of righteousness. And so we've been called to live by a higher standard. We've been called to live by this love. And we have said throughout this series, and I've read this verse almost every, every single uh, message, um, it should be the most important thing, the priority that we pursue in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1 in the Amplified Bible says it this way. It says, eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. And then it says this, which is really, really telling. It says, make it your aim, and then this phrase, your great quest. You know, as I think about a great quest, I think about, you know, even just yesterday, I didn't have a great quest, I just had a small quest. Um, I went up to the top of Bent Mountain and I walked, um, you know, the, back, uh, the Bottom Creek Reserve Trail, it was about a four and a half mile trail, but as I was going, I had a goal, right? My goal was to finish without passing out. Um, that was my goal. Um, and I did it. I actually finished without passing out. Um, but, but the reality, because it was, had some different steep places, and, you know, there were moments where I had to stop, take a sip of water. Um, uh, but but my, my goal was to go up there and finish that, right? It was the priority. It was what I was focused on. And when we talk about walking in love, that's exactly what Jesus tells us, is that this should be the goal of our life. The goal of our life as a church should not be, you know, big churches, and, although big churches are great. I'm not downing them. If God blesses a church and they get big, that's awesome. But it shouldn't be a big church or a big building. It shouldn't be, you know, the moving and the gifts of the Spirit and great power in our services. All of those things are important. They are things we should believe for. There's nothing wrong with those, so I'm not disdaining those by about what I'm, what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is those shouldn't be our number one goal. Our number one goal should be to be, be people of love. I've always said that when I die, if, when, when I lay my head down and I breathe my last breath, I want people to remember me as a person that loved and forgave. You know, I often think about my mom when I think about that. Man, she, you poked her and just ooze and goodness would come out. I mean, it would just come out that way. And, and she was a loving person. And, and, and I believe that's what we've been called to do is to love, to make that our number one goal. As a matter of fact, as a church, that's not our goal. And, and individually, that, you know, that should be our goal, Right. Uh, as a church, that is our goal, is what I mean, and, and individually, uh, that should be our goal. You know, as I think about us individually, you know, we can pursue a lot of things in life. Um, we can pursue, um, you know, our comfort. We can pursue, you know, uh, you know, paying off our mortgage and putting ourselves in a good place financially. We can pursue, you know, that, and that's what most people pursue in life, is how can I make my life more comfortable, but what this verse of scripture says is that our, that should not be our number one goal. That's a selfish way of thinking. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's almost sometimes um, we, we almost don't recognize that we're being selfish because, you know, we're doing our best to just get out there and make it happen. But our goal should be when we get up in the morning, Lord, use me to show your love. Use me to serve others. Use me to help others. And so that's our goal. And so Jesus said that was our goal. He said this in verse 34. He said, we'll read it again. A new commandment I give unto you that you should love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So what he said there was, is the way people will truly know, and, and that word know means experience. The way that people will really experience that you're a disciple of Jesus it's not by the things you say, it's not by how often you go to church, it's not how cool your Christian bumper sticker is, right? Uh, it, it's actually by how well you show love to other people. It's that experience with you that's going to allow them to experience Jesus in you. I've often said this, that the power and presence of Jesus is manifest and experienced only to the magnitude to which we show love. 
And so it's important for us to be people of love. And so with it being the most important thing, what I wanted to do was go back and just touch on, you know, we've been looking at for 12 weeks, what does that mean to be people of love? What does it mean to be a person day in and day out that expresses the love of God in what we do? So I want to touch real quickly on what we've talked about. First thing we said was this. We said love puts others first or it prefers them. Romans, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, notice this, in honor preferring one another. So we said love will prefer or put others first. It'll put them ahead of ourselves. It'll say if we have the opportunity for me to go first or you to go first, we will say you go first. Now, as I prepared that, knowing we've got a covered dish lunch coming up, uh, that doesn't mean everybody stand by and just say, you go first, because if we all fight over that, then we'll never get our food served, right? So just have at that. I give you permission to go first. Um, but what this is really talking about is really in life. You know, and that's so uncommon in the world around us. It is really, truly uncommon, we, we live in such a competitive society. I mean, you know, we grow up and, and have our kids embrace sports, and, and competitiveness in sports is fine. That's for the fun of it, right? But, but I think sometimes that bleeds over into life, and then all of a sudden we think we got to win at everything. we got to win in our arguments. We've got to win in our life. We've got to get ahead of everybody else. And what that verse of Scripture says is that if we're going to live like Jesus has called us to live, our mindset has to be, no, you first. You first. That needs to be the mindset of our life. And our mind can actually race towards, if I do that, how do I ever win? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But, but part of walking in love is preferring and putting other people first. Also, we said this, love will never intentionally hurt someone. Everybody say intentionally. How many of you accidentally hurt somebody, right? And even when you do that, how many of you feel really bad about it when you do that? Um, and so, you know, uh, and so certainly we have moments where we make mistakes and we falter and fail. And when that happens, you know, what do you do? You just go say you're sorry. And then once you say you're sorry and you ask God to forgive you, what do you do? You embrace the fact that you're forgiven based on what God says and you don't let condemnation beat you up over your mistake. You just move forward. But, but what this verse of scripture does say is this, is that it says if you're walking in love, it says love never does anything. It says in Romans 13, 10. In God's world translation, it says, love never does anything that is harmful to a neighbor. And so what that says is we measure our decisions in the crucible of this thought, is what I'm about to do going to hurt somebody else? You know, I think sometimes we make decisions and don't even consider that. How is the decision I'm going to make impact somebody else? We have to be people of love that embrace that mindset. Number three, we said love forgives and doesn't judge others. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. So what that means is, is in our everyday life, we eliminate from our, from our vocabulary, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did, right? Love covers. Love doesn't broadcast the faults of others. Love chooses to find something else to talk about. It moves on to a different subject. And then we also said this, love doesn't demean people, but rather finds the good in them. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You ever been around somebody that's a know-it-all? You know, a know-it-all is a somebody that's always willing to point out that they're right and you're wrong, and they do it. I often think that happens from almost a place of insecurity, because what they're trying to do is show that they're better than you. But what love says is this, love is not puffed up. It's not a mindset that says I'm better. Love says, you know what, I want to build you up. So in every situation, even if I think I've done better than you, I'm going to put me aside and I'm going to pray. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to do those type of things. Also, we said love seeks out those that are hurting and the lost. And so we said, Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 16 says, I will stretch out, I will search for the lost and bring the, back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. A person that is loving typically is a person that gets up and says, you know what, Lord, help me today find someone that needs to know, that's in a place of need, that needs to know how much you love them, that needs to know how much you care about them, right? Love does that. And then we also said this, love rejoices when others get ahead. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6 says, love rejoices when truth, with the truth or when truth prevails. Well, what is the truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth. So love rejoices when, when the truth of God begins to manifest in people's life. And how many of you know God's word is full of great promises for us this morning? How many of you realize he promises he wants to bless us, help us, heal us, make our lives better, right? 
So what that says then is this, is when people get ahead, when people uh, see the manifestation of God's goodness working in their life, when good things happen for people, I mean, you realize every good gift is from God. It's not from anywhere else. So even when your enemies get ahead, the Bible says we should rejoice with them instead of being covetous or angry or even embrace a mindset that says, well, I don't know why they got ahead. I should have got that, right? Love doesn't do that. And then last of all, um, we said, uh, not last of all, but we said love gives. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18 says, by this we know love. Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so we see here is what this verse is saying. It's not just talking. We we really hammered this when we talked about this. It's not just about our finances. It's a mindset in life. When you love, your mindset is, I want to be a giver, not a taker. I want to bless. I want to help. And when I have the opportunity to help, whether it's my time, whether it's my talent, whether it's my my forgiveness, whether it's my mercy, I want to give it instead of take it. I want to give it instead of withhold it. And so love gives like Jesus gave. And then last week, we talked about this. We said love doesn't pass negative judgment on others when we've not been given the authority to do so. Luke chapter 6 and verse 36 says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. In the context of what is Jesus is saying there is he's saying that when you have the opportunity to look at a matter and you see that something wrong has been done and you see that something bad has happened, don't pass judgment on that person if you don't have the authority to do so. Now, you know, I had a question come up this week. Well, what about in a situation where, you know, we've been called to court and we're supposed to judge, right? Well, I mean, you've been given the authority to pass a judgment there, so you need to go ahead and do that, right? If you're a parent and your children, you've been called to raise your children, so it's nothing wrong with judging or, 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 or acknowledging that, hey, what they did was right or wrong. But the judgment that Jesus is talking about here is that condemning negative judgment. You know, even when you correct your kids, how many of you realize you shouldn't correct them in a mindset that says, you're so stupid, I don't know why you do that, right? That's judgmental. That's the kind of judgment God is saying we shouldn't pass. God is saying that we should, even in those situations, it should be a loving mindset that says, hey, look, you know, this is right, this is wrong, and that ain't the way you should do that. So as a parent, I'm going to have to dish out some punishment for this, right? How many of you realize that's okay as a parent? So we're not saying you shouldn't judge. And teenagers, don't go home and tell your parents, Pastor Tommy said you shouldn't judge me because they've been given a right to judge you and given authority to judge you. But what the scripture does tell us is in areas where we don't have authority, and that's typically where we mostly struggle with this, right? I mean, in the world around us, we see political viewpoints and we immediately judge people as evil or bad. We see people that embrace certain lifestyles that aren't our lifestyles and we we judge them as evil or bad. And certainly the scripture says right is right and wrong is wrong, but what Jesus says is you leave the judgment of it to me, you just love people, right? So look at your neighbor and say, just love people. That's what we've been called to do. Now today what I want to do is real briefly, that was was just my intro. What I want to do real briefly is I want to talk about one last characteristic of love to sort of bring this entire series to sort of a a conclusion. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, first, why did I say Luke? First Corinthians chapter 13 verses 7 through 8, I want you to listen to these verses. It says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Notice the statement, love never fails. Uh, I want to bring this, really, this whole series to a conclusion by just really uh, hammering home this point for just a few minutes that love never does fail. And we can look at this from two respects. And the first one is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but it's simply this, because we've talked a lot about it throughout the entire series. If you walk in love, you will always come out on the winning side. So when love never fails, that's certainly one application of what that means. Because the scripture tells us that if you have a mindset that says, I'm going to obey Jesus, and I'm going to put you first, even though it looks like I'm going to lose, 
Because I know that Jesus will take care of me if I take care of you, right? That's a faith mindset that requires us to walk in love. And so when we walk in love with that mindset that says, I can put you first, I can forgive you, I can walk in love, if you do that and trust God, you'll always come out on the winning side. So love never fails. But here's the other piece of this that I really want to stress, and it's, and it's this. It says, love never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. And what I believe that verse of Scripture means more contextually in what we're reading there is that love doesn't die. We are called to always love and to never stop loving. Love never ceases. You know, have you ever heard, heard somebody say, well, we just sort of fell out of love? You ever heard that phrase before? Or nowadays, you know, uh, the, the phrase people use is, well, I just don't have the feels anymore, whatever the feels are, right? You know, you ever heard that one before? But the truth of the matter is, is, is the reason people say love has gone away or it's grown cold or we don't love each other anymore, the feels are gone, is because they're basing uh, their experience on something other than God's love. They're basing it either on an emotional love or a physical attraction or a friendship type of love. And all of those are very real types of love. You don't discredit those. And all of those are important. God created us to experience those. But, but what this verse is saying is, is that beyond those types of love, when you walk in the love of God, that love never goes away. So even if you don't have the feels, that love is still available for you. For us to say that love has died in a situation is to really say that God has died. And how many of you realize God hasn't died? Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. Amen? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God. Notice this last phrase, for God is love. So as, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time, matter of fact, in this series, I don't think I've taken the time to define the different types of love. But there is an emotional love we can have. There is a physical attraction type of love we can have. There is a friendship type of love we can have. And all of those loves are very real. But when the Bible says God is love, it says God is agape. And that word agape is the God kind of love. And that, what that's saying is, is that God is the embodiment of this kind of love that we've been called to live and walk in. And what that verse of Scripture tells me is this, is that if God is the embodiment of love, then that love could never die because if that love died, then God would have to die. And as I said, God ain't going nowhere, right? So the point I'm trying to make is this, is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what relationship you're in, there is a love that you can display even when you don't feel like it. There is a love that never ends. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. And that's a love that you can display even for those who, how many of you had somebody just really do you wrong? They're just a jerk. A couple of you raised your hand. I guess the rest of y'all are perfect, right? You just, how many of you can raise your hand and say, I know somebody right now that as soon as you said that, it came to mind. That person is a jerk, right? All right. Well, that's where we live, right? That's the reality of where we live, right? And, what that ver and, and notice what this verse is, and even, so, so what I'm trying to say is that even for that individual, you can love them. You may not have to trust them, right? Because we said this throughout the series, love is given, trust is earned, right? So you may be in a relationship with somebody that's, that that's treats you bad and does you bad and is wrong to you. That doesn't mean you need to trust them. That doesn't mean you need to open your heart. The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence. That doesn't mean you need to just completely open your heart and let them run roughshod over you. But... In the midst of protecting your own heart, in the midst of, uh, uh, you know, not giving them your trust, you can still give them your love. You can still forgive. You can still uh, honor them. You can still pray for them. You can still lift them up. You can still even go the extra mile even though you don't want to do it and say, no, you go first. See, when you start doing that, maybe even that individual will look at you and say, wait a minute, what's, what's going on? Something's changed, Right? And maybe you'll have an open door and an open window to be able to say, you know what, I just recognize that it's more important for me to honor Jesus and walk in love than it is to hold bitterness and harbor unforgiveness towards you. Amen? Notice Jeremiah, this is what God says. God told them, I never quit loving you. 
and never will. Expect love, love, and more love. What that verse tells me is that God, now here's the good news for us this morning. Let's just take a step away from us this morning about what we need to do and how we should live our lives. And let's just look at what God says towards us. He never stops loving us. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad when you make a mistake or you do something wrong, even if you willfully make a choice to say, you know what, I'm going to just disobey here because my flesh wants to and I'm going to do it. Aren't you glad that God says, even in that scenario, I'm not going to quit loving you. I think more of that needs to be preached from our pulpits across America and across the world. Because I think most people live their lives feeling like every time they make a mistake, they're on God's crappy list. Right? As soon as they make a mistake, they've got to earn their way back and pay their penance to get God to love them again. But here's the beautiful thing about the love of God. It says, in spite of you, I love you. Woo, that's good news. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I'm doing another series on love here next about, and, and you're gonna love, you say another one? You just did 12 weeks. How many of you know it's our, it's our aim, it's our great quest? But notice what it says here. It says God loves us and he never will quit loving us. And what that tells me is this then, that if we're a believer and he lives in us, then we can never, we, we can be in a spot where we don't stop loving people. And I mean really loving people, right? Making a heartfelt choice to say, in spite of all the jerky stuff you do, I may not trust you, and I may be cautious with you, but I'm still going to love you and pray for you and believe the best for you and hope the best for you. I'm not going to wish the heavens fall on your head and you die, right? I'm not going to hate you. And the scripture tells us we can do this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. The love of God is shed abroad within us as a believer. You may feel like, I, just, I can't love them. Let me tell you, if you're a believer, you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You have this love in you. The reason you can't is because your flesh is screaming so loud, and maybe you've embraced it for so long that that's all you can hear. But if you'll look deep down in your heart prayerfully and say, Lord, you called me to love this person. Help me. That spark of love will rise up on the inside of you, and that love will never fail. Now, I'm not talking about emotional love. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about friendship kind of. I'm talking about the kind of love that says, in spite of who you are, I'm still going to love you. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 14 says, let, let all that you do be done with love, love without stopping. We are called to be people of love and to do it without remorse. What do I mean without remorse? You know, I'm often reminded of the story of the little boy gets put in the corner, you know, and the teacher says, Johnny, you sit in the corner. And he says, well, I'm going to sit in the corner, but just so you know, in my heart, I'm still standing up. Right? I'm not talking about loving somebody that way. Well, you know, I, I guess I got to love you, so I'm going to love you. That's not, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. That's a work. <laughs> that's just a work. And that doesn't please the heart of the Father. That doesn't help the situation because you still harbor that unforgiveness. What it says here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, Paul said this. He says, I will verily, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. His mindset was, I'm happy to do it. We have to find the place within ourselves where we're happy to forgive. You know, one of the reasons you can be happy to forgive someone else is because I, if, it's more, if it's not anything else, it's because you've chosen to not let that person have power over you. You can be happy to forgive because you can say, they don't have that kind of control of me. I've got a greater love on the inside of me. You know, some people say, well, you know, it's just this one person. And I, I really I hate them. I don't like them. Right? The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It'll affect your whole life, whether you realize it or not. But boy, when you take a step back and you say, no, God help me. And sometimes you've got to ask him to help you because some people are really unlovable, right? But we say, God, help me. Help me not, never end in my love for this person. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38 says this. This is what the, the scripture says, first of all, about God loving us. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able, notice this, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in 
Christ Jesus. What that verse says is there is nobody that can separate you from the love your Father God has for you. There's nothing someone can do. There's no situation. But what that verse also says, you know, I was reading this probably 10 years ago, and it just sort of came off the pages to me that there was another application for this verse that I needed to apply to my life. This isn't just talking about, you know, because we can stand and shout that, I'm convinced the devil can't separate me from my father's love, and that means I'm going to get blessed, and I'm going to have a promise, and my promise is going to pass, and everything's going to be worked out okay for me, right? That's, that's, that's one way to look at that. But what this tells me, and I think this is what Paul is saying, because he says we are more than conquerors in the context of this verse through him who loved us. He says that because he loves us, this allows us to become something, to be something that we are not sometimes. And what he says here is he says, I'm persuaded that there is nothing in this life, there's no person, there's no thing, there's no circumstance that can stop me as a believer from showing the love of Christ to someone else. He says, I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced there's no pain that you've been caused that you cannot forgive somebody for. You know, I, I was struck, I was, I mean, just really, really struck by what went on in, uh, Mass in Maine over the past week and the shootings that took place in Maine. And we should be praying for those families that lost loved ones. But what really struck me, I mean, it was, it was just, it was, it was an amazing thing. There was this man that they interviewed and he was sitting there and he was talking about how his son uh, was the owner of the bar that got killed. And, and he got killed. And he got killed trying to lay down his life to help the other bar members. But I remember as his dad talked about it, weeping and talking to the reporter about how hard it is to have lost his son. But then he went a step further and he said, but I can harbor no unforgiveness in my life for the shooter. What a powerful thing. See, there's nothing when you, when you choose and he even went a step further. You know, we said love looks at everything from every angle. He said there had to have been something in that man's life that caused him to pull the trigger and do the crazy thing he did. And we should be praying for him and we should be concerned. Man, you know, right? I, I, that's, that, that's a big step in love, right? Because there's a part of us that wants to say, man, I mean, hang him out to dry. And certainly justice in, in our judicial system will take care of that, Right? But we're, to, we're believers. And, and, and I think it was, it, was, it was compelling to me that this man, in the midst of all of his loss, he embraced this verse, neither height nor depth, no creature, no thing can separate me from walking in the love that I've been called to walk in. See, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And if you're a Christian, you can put others first. If you're a believer, you can do no hurtful thing to others. You can make the choice. To do that. You can forgive others when you don't want to. You can build others up when you want to tear them down. You can seek out the hurting and the needy. You have the love of God in you and you can rejoice and celebrate when others get ahead, even if you haven't yet. You can give and give and give, as the scripture says, even though at times you may seem like you haven't received in quite some time. And you can withhold condemning judgment and rather give mercy. And at the end of the day, I, you know, as I think about the love of God, I think about what we talked about last week, and I think one of the greatest qualities of being able to walk in love is the, or one of the greatest truths to help us walk in love is the understanding that I have been forgiven so much because of what Jesus did for me. And if he can forgive me for so much, then I'm not going to hold myself to that person to a higher standard than God holds me. I am going to walk in love and I'm going to forgive. Amen. As the musicians come, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. I believe he's writing about us as a church. Notice what he says there to the church in Thessalonian, the Thessalonica church. He says, but, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. What is he saying? He says, you're doing a good job of walking in love. Look at your neighbor and say, you're doing a good job of walking in love. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren. But notice this phrase, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. What is he saying? He's saying that the level to which you're walking in love today is not the level to which we should strive to walk in love tomorrow. We should seek to grow in it, 
more and more. And I believe if we do that collectively as a church, we will create an atmosphere that is uncommon in the world. And I would tell you this, it might even be uncommon in church circles. It's a mindset that says, you first. Mindset that says, I will seek your best before I seek my own. It's a mindset that says, I will give to you before I take for myself. And I got to tell you, even in Christian circles, that's rare when people do it consistently. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is a beautiful picture of this. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the teaching, to living life together. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performing many miraculous signs and wonders. And the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common and shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. I got to tell you, as we come together on a family Sunday and we take an opportunity to worship God and to, and to honor him at his communion table, one of the best things we can do is take inventory of ourselves and say, Lord, help me be the person of love that I've learned about the last 12 weeks. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways behind me. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But notice this, but the greatest of these is love. I believe we're growing up as a body of believers. I believe we're growing in the love of God. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to partake of the communion table here in just a moment. But before we do, uh, uh, you know, to partake of the communion table is really simple. You don't have to be a member of this church. The only thing required to be a member of the, uh, to, to partake of the communion table is really simply this. It's just to be a believer, to have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So before we partake of the communion table, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. No looking around. And I'm going to ask this simple question. If you are here this morning and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the love that we've talked about this morning is available to you. He's not judging you. He's not angry with you. He simply loves you. And if you've never made him the Lord of your life, the scripture teaches us that you don't have his love in you at this point. It's only when we accept, you may have emotional love, you may have friendship love, you may even have physical attraction love, you may have that for an individual, but the God kind of love that never fails and causes relationships to never fail, that kind of love only is shed abroad in our heart once we accept Jesus and we become a new creation in Christ. So if you've never had an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, number one, you may be craving that unconditional love. It's available to you simply by doing, it's, it's real simple. You don't join a church. You don't become a better person. You actually accept forgiveness because you can't be perfect. You accept the free gift of God's love that says, I love you in spite of all the failures and mistakes. And I forgive you. Jesus came and hung on a cross. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he was beaten and he was bruised and he was hung on a cross to shed his blood as a sacrifice and to be a substitute for our sin. If you've never accepted him, you have a moment now. Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you've never said, you can't point to a moment in time where you say, I know this is when I did this. I want this to be your moment this morning, not so we can say somebody got saved here, but so that you can have your moment with Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now and say, yes, that's me. I need to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand in Jesus' name? Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want to make that choice. Anyone at all? If you're not sure, you can be sure. Anyone at all? Okay, I'm going to assume that everyone has made that choice. And what that means is, is that we all have his love shed abroad in our hearts. And we all prepared to partake of the communion table. 
You can open your eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. At the communion table, we're reminded of a couple of key things. Number one, we're reminded that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've wronged. Because of Jesus, you are forgiven. Amen? And at the communion table, we have a moment to stop and say, Thank you, Lord that it's you and you alone that causes me to be right with you. Secondly, at the communion table, it says his body was broken for us. The scripture teaches us that by Jesus' stripes, we have been healed. His physical body was broken specifically to bring us physical healing in our bodies and to, so that we could walk in health. And so as you partake of the communion table this morning, the scripture says there are oftentimes many that are weak and sickly among you because they don't rightly discern the Lord's body, because they don't rightly discern that his body was broken, and, yet, and so they struggle with sickness. That doesn't mean that we won't falter and fail in this area, but what that means is, is that the communion table provision has been made for you to be healed. So as you partake this morning, you can thank God that whether you feel like it or not, whether your symptoms are gone or not, you can thank God that Jesus paid for my healing and I believe that it's mine. Amen? Last thing we get to do is it's an opportunity for us to do something else, to evaluate ourselves. We've been talking about love for 12 weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28 says, each one, before he partakes of the table, it says, each one must examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. What that verse says is, is that not only, it's not only saying that you don't honor what he did for you, but the, the scripture teaches us that we today are the modern day body of Christ. The person sitting on your right or your left, the believer that is a Christian but they act like the devil <laughs> and has treated you wrong, they're a believer as well. And they're a part of that body. And what the scripture says is, is we should have moments where we stop and honor them, prefer them, and we don't judge them, we forgive them so that we don't bring judgment upon ourselves. And so the communion ta table is certainly a somber moment for us to look into our hearts and ask ourselves if this scripture qualifies to, if scripture in Ephesians applies to us. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Whew. Man, some of us have been through some real stuff with people. And what it says is to get rid of all that stuff that's on the inside of you because of the hurts you felt from that person. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. The communion table is a chance to just clean it all out and say, Lord, I let it go. I forgive them. Amen? So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to do it real simply. We're going to remember his blood that was shed for us. We're going to remember his body that was broken for us. And we're going to look into our hearts and say, Lord, if there be any bitterness in me, any unforgiveness, I let it go. I'm not going to let that have power over my life. Amen? So the way we're going to do this is real simple. We don't pass the elements. We're going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you just to head down the aisle this way and down this way, and then you just partake of the elements as you come. Go back to your seat. You'll see it comes in a little container. Go ahead and open it up, but don't partake. I want to do it all together as a family. So get it all ready, and then we're going to pray over this and partake together. But stand to your feet, make your way forward, and let's go ahead and partake this morning. Thank you, thank you. Jesus is calling. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? 
Jesus is calling Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Just take a moment, close your eyes as we sing Bring this song Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Come on, let's come and worship Him this morning. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Amen, the scripture says again, it says and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize what Jesus did for us. We don't take this lightly. This is not a ritual. This is not a rote. This is a moment in time where we stop to remember what Jesus did for us. That his body was broken for us that his blood was shed for us. And we choose to acknowledge that and be grateful for the forgiveness we've received. And therefore, we will be gracious with forgiveness in our own hearts towards others. We will be people of love because of Jesus. We partake now with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for those that may have needed to forgive, for those that may have needed to let go, that they made a choice to do that in their hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will rise up big within them and heal the brokenness, heal the hurt, and give them the strength and the ability to walk in the love of God. I give you praise and thanks for that, Father. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Come on, let's sing it one more time. Just worship Him, just worship Him, just worship Him. Oh, thank you, Father, we're forgiven. Jesus Christ, oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open. 
a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another let's be people of love amen amen well we're going to dismiss here uh, but if you have a prayer request or a prayer need prayer partners will be right here at the front um, to pray with you if you can just come talk to them they'll just in confidence pray with you and believe God for answers uh, that you may be looking for if you want someone to actually agree direct with you in prayer But I want to bless the food. We'll pray over it and then um, and then let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, just enjoy some time in fellowship with each other If you didn't bring any you're welcome to stay. I'm sure there'll be plenty uh, So let's do that father. Thank you so much Said in the book of Acts that they partook of meals together not just the Lord's Supper but meals And so we're gonna do that together as a church family and as uh, anybody that's here is welcome and so we just thank you, Father God, for just blessing our time, our fellowship. Thank you that you bless our bread and water and take sickness away from the midst of us. And thank you, Father, that, uh, that, uh, that we just have a great time of fellowship. Thank you for the hands that prepared the food, and we receive it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy yourself. There's some tables in the back. You can also sit in here, stand, eat. Just make yourself at home. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.